0: Good morning, church. As we encourage our children at KCCS to finish strong, I'm thankful that you all chose to finish strong on this last day of 2023 by being in the house of the Lord to worship our God. Amen? As we end... 2023, we're going to begin a journey through the book of Malachi. It's the last book and the last prophetic voice of the Old Testament. But before we begin our journey, I would like to give a bit of background and context for the book of Malachi. So this will be kind of an extended introduction, if you will. And I wanted to do this before I actually read our text today. Uh, In our text today will be Malachi chapter 1, uh, the first five verses, verses 1 through 5. But I believe it would be to our benefit to first get some background and context um, of the book of Malachi. So before I do that, let me just pray for us. Father, we thank you for... Your word, for your promises given to us in your word. And Lord, we may be a people tempted to think that the promises contained in what we call the Old Testament are somehow less than or not applicable to us, and nothing could be further from the truth. For the promises you make in your word, both Old and New Testament. The promises you give to us in Scripture from the very beginning, when you spoke light into existence. Father, every promise given to us in your word is for your people. And it's for your people who are in Christ. So Lord, as we look through the words of this prophet, this prophetic book, the last book of the Old Testament. God, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Lord, help us to see ourselves. Lord, even as you challenge your people through the words of your prophets, so let us be challenged equally so that we also may turn from our own ways and return to you. And give you glory. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The spiritual condition of the people and the nation in Malachi's day was dire. The people questioned God's love for them, they brought defiled and unacceptable offerings to a corrupt priesthood. To be offered to God upon his altar, thus defiling both his name and his altar. They offered sacrifices that they would not offer to any earthly ruler, but in their contempt for God, they had no true regard in their worship of God. They stopped bringing the tithe, which belonged to the Lord, as well as additional offerings that also rightfully belonged to the Lord. They married foreign women, specifically women who worshiped false gods, and they themselves then became idolatrous worshipers of those false gods. In becoming unequally yoked and disregarding God's word, they forsook the wives of their youth and profaned God's holy institution of marriage. And as a result, God refused to any longer regard their offerings. Yet still in the midst of all their sin and all their rebellion, God affirmed his love for his people, as God always does. In His grace and love, He did not hide their sin, but exposed it so that they could confess it and repent before Him and thus be restored. God affirmed again His promise to restore His people and deliver them from their sin. He promised He would send His messenger of the covenant. He promised He would record in His book of remembrance those who fear His name. And I believe that was not just for the people of Malachi's day. That is a promise for God's people. That is a promise for us today. For those who fear the name of the Lord, God knows. God knows your name. He has marked you. That's why the scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then God said of those who fear his name, he said these would become jewels, his jewels. And he promised that he would spare them as a man would spare his own son who serves him. He also promised the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And for those who feared the name of the Lord, this would be great encouragement. But for those who forsook the Lord, this should be a clear warning, a call to repentance. Before that day, God promised to turn the hearts of men. In other words, he said before that day, there would be a turning of men's hearts. Throughout Malachi's prophecy, God maintains his grace and love for his people. So may we take heart as we turn our own hearts toward the Lord and fall upon his grace and love given to us in Jesus Christ. Malachi forms the transition link between the two dispensations of the Old and New Testaments. Tertullian, an early church father, called Malachi the skirt and boundary of Christianity, Malachi is the last inspired messenger of the Old Testament. Malachi announces the coming of the great messenger of the covenant revealed in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. Following Malachi is 400 years of prophetic silence before the arrival of the two messengers Malachi prophetically points us to, John the Baptist, the forerunner, and Jesus Christ, the messenger of the covenant. As we look at the time in which Malachi prophesied to God's people, one cannot help but see similarities between the sins that are addressed by Malachi and the sins that need to be addressed among God's people today. When we consider the church as a whole, We realize that designation captures many types of people with diverse beliefs and diverse practices. In the church today, we see many beliefs and practices which are right and righteous, but we also see many which are not right and must be called what they are, which is sinful. We can have differences, yet we must still maintain God's standard of truth And righteousness. This is what we see the church failing to do in our own day. The people in Malachi's day had departed from what was right to embrace what was wrong and sinful. We have long been experiencing the same sad phenomenon in our own culture and in the church today. Just as then, we need prophetic voices declaring the word of the Lord to God's people. For those who have ears to hear, they will hear. For those who do not have ears to hear, they will be warned. And as God did then, he is calling his people to repent and return to him. Malachi prophesied. In the mid to late 4th century B.C. Somewhere probably between 470 and 420. After the return of Judah from captivity in Babylon. And after the rebuilding of the temple. So when Malachi is proclaiming the word of the Lord. To the nation. To Judah. But we're going to see that God. Addresses Israel, and it's not a typo. He's addressing God's people, all of God's people. And when Malachi is addressing God's people, he is doing so after the remnant has already come back from Babylon from 70 years of captivity. About 50,000 souls came back from the captivity. This is also after they have rebuilt the temple. He was more likely a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. The restoration of the temple had taken place, but Malachi was now seeking a restoration of the spiritual condition of the people in their relationship to God. This meant Malachi had to speak the hard truths about the sins of the people, their rebellion against God and their need to repent and return to his ways. This was the burden of the word of the Lord carried by Malachi. He did not shy away from it. He boldly proclaimed it to them, but not just to them, he proclaimed it for us today. And we must do no less today than declare God's truth boldly to a world, to a church that desperately needs to hear it and be set free by it. Amen? Amen. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, our text today. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel says is the word of the Lord be to God. In Malachi chapter 1 verse 1 Malachi pins these words the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi Literally, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by the hand of Malachi. Malachi means my messenger. It could be the name of the author of the book. So the guy writing the book, the prophet, could be named Malachi. Or it could be the office or the title that's assigned to him by God. Either way, God's messenger wrote this prophetic book. God's messenger uttered these prophetic words to God's people. Malachi is carrying the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. He is the oracle of God, prophesying the word of the Lord to a nation that is suffering under their own sin and rebellion against God. Using a question and answer method, God delivers his word through the prophet by probing his people and probing their sin. In verse 2, listen to the word of the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord, Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob, I have loved. Those beginning words from God to his people in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. It is telling of who God is and his feelings for his people. Before God points out anything else concerning the people and their sin and their rebellion and rejection of Him, He begins by expressing His love for them. He begins with these words, I have loved you, says the Lord. God loves His people. God loves you. Even with your sin. God does not love your sin He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his word to save you from your sin. The response of the people is also telling as they question God's declared love for them. God says, I have loved you. The people say, in what way have you loved us, God? In refusing to acknowledge their sin, the people instead question God's love. Not unlike what we often do today. The people questioned God's love because of their circumstances. They were experiencing hard times and they were not seeing the promises of God being fulfilled in the way and in the time they wanted. Sound familiar? Ever been there? Ever done that? I have. As is the case with human nature, so like us today, the people became impatient with God and turned to their idols and turned to other gods seeking solace. Ironically, in their impatience with God, they did not consider how patient God was with them. In the midst of their sin, in the midst of their rebellion, the fact that God is has sent his prophet, that God is declaring his word to his people, indicates the great patience of God. Today, we do not typically name our false gods or our idols like the Israelites and their pagan neighbors did. Unlike the people to which Malachi is writing, we do not physically erect our idols and bow down before them for the most part here in America. But just as Israel of old did, we have our idols and we have our lesser gods that we turn to for solace and for the solutions that we seek. It was sinful for Israel then. It is sinful for us today to look to anyone but the Lord. We are inundated and consumed with politics in our day as we approach an election year beginning tomorrow. And it seems that we have turned to the false gods of politics to solve our problems. We have erected the idol of government to be the solution for every ill and every problem that we have. And we each worship Our own lesser gods, depending on what letter precedes their name, an R, a D, an I, and even the church, even Christians have fallen prey to this sin and this temptation to look to the hand of man, the arm of the flesh, to deliver us instead of God. And I will tell you, as God told Israel, there is no deliverance in the arm of the flesh. Our deliverance will come from God or it will not come at all. Like Israel, as a people, we have become distracted from the real issue, which is our sin. Our attention is drawn to so many other things, whether good or bad, but not... To the one thing we should be drawn to, that is to God himself, the distractions we face are not accidental. Hear me, church. What's happening is not an accident. It's not a coincidence. They are purposeful to tempt us, to distract us and draw us away from the Lord and his ways, his path of righteousness. Some of our distractions are inflicted upon us by others. Yet, many of them are completely self-inflicted. Some are necessary. Many others are simply our own sinful choices. In other words, some of the distractions we face are beyond our own control. Some of them are necessary in the sense that they are the consequence, maybe not even of our own sin. It may be the consequence of others' sin. This is why your worship is so important. This is why your personal worship is so important. This is why your corporate worship is so important. We live in an era, and we have come from an era where our personal relationship with Jesus is everything. It's so important that it supersedes our corporate relationship with the body of Jesus. And that is, that is not biblical at all. It's not. God never meant for you to have such a personal relationship with him that you did not need the other persons that are members of his body. And what we're dealing with, what Malachi's dealing with here in the nation that he's prophesying to is the accumulation of everyone's, each and everyone's personal sin that has now become the sin of the nation. We can broad brush and generalize and talk about the sin of the church, but guess what? The sin of the church is my sin. It's your sin. And the sin of the church is the accumulation of each and every one of our own sins that make the whole. And so it is not good enough for Christians to say, I have my personal time with God. No, God did not give himself to you for you to only have your personal time with him. God gave himself to you so that you could become a member of his body and you corporately with his body would do the warfare of worship and see a nation, a people, a church, turn from their sin and back to God. You cannot do that personally on your own. No army, there is no such thing as an army of hands out fighting their enemy. God put a hand on your body so it could hold a weapon and fight the enemy, but it is the whole body that is fighting, not just the hand, not just the foot, not just the eye, not just the ear. And we have bought the lie into believing that we can have our own personal relationship with God to the exclusion of everyone else. And if things don't go to suit us, well, we'll just separate ourselves and have our personal time with Jesus And I'll be in heaven and I'll be just fine one day. I don't need everybody else. Do you realize how sinful that is? That is pure, straight up sin. And I need to repent of it. You need to repent of it. The body of Christ needs to repent of it. Because we're called a body for a reason. We're called an army for a reason. We have an enemy. He is real. You better know that. And I'm preaching this message on purpose as we leave 2023 and go into 2024 because the battle's not going to stop when 2023 ends. In fact, it will intensify as we move into 2024. I can promise you that. Because 2024 is a strategic year for this nation... For the church and for you and for me, whether we realize it or not. It is. And God is calling His body to come together in worship and in warfare because the battle is raging. And look around, church. We're not doing so good right now. Our nation is in the same shape Malachi found his nation in when he prophesied these words to them. And so just as they needed to hear the word of the Lord, we need to hear the word of the Lord. Israel became so focused on their problems, they took their eyes off God and His word. They grew impatient with God and took matters into their own hands, coming up with their own sinful solutions to what they perceived to be their problem. Their problems, so to speak, were not their problem. Just as our problem today, our problems today really are not our problem. I'm not saying we don't have problems. We have a lot of them. But if we're only looking to our problem, we're looking to the wrong thing. While distracted by what they thought to be their problems, they ignored their sin and they did not look to God. Instead, they were focused on their problem. Sin was their problem and the root of all that was wrong. And the solution was not to keep looking at their sin, to keep looking at their problem. The solution was to look to God. Turning to sin to fix our problems is never the answer. Most of our problems are symptoms of our, of our deeper issue, which is sin. And this certainly is true when we consider the greater church and the culture we are a part of today. God is the answer that is right before us. We seem to be too distracted, if not too dismissive, to look to Him. This is what Israel had done. This is what Judah had done in Malachi's day. They dismissed God. Oh, yeah, we've heard all that before. Nothing's come of it. We've heard all the promises, but we don't see it. Oh, God, you say you love us? How do you love us, God? I don't see any love. I don't feel any love. And we throw rocks at those people, yet we are guilty of the very same things ourselves. So we must turn from our sin and turn to God. We must confess our sin and repent with the assurance that God loves us and delights to forgive and to restore us. Israel forgot this truth. Instead of turning to God, they turned away from Him. We must be sure to not make the same sinful mistake as the cost for doing so will be great. Let me read verse 2 again. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob, I have loved. The people could not see God's love. They saw only their lack. Upon his declaration of love, the people responded by questioning God's love for them. In what way have you loved us? We don't necessarily ask such questions out loud, but we ask them in our hearts and in our minds, and God hears them just the same. In other words, the people were saying, we hear you, God, but we don't see it. We don't see your love. The reality is that God gave them a very clear picture of his love for them. Paul recalls this picture of God's sovereign love for his promised and chosen people in Romans 9, verses 11 through 13. So if you ever wonder what the Old Testament means, just go to the New Testament and you'll get the commentary for it. You've got a commentary contained right there. It's called the Bible. The best interpretation of the Bible is the Bible itself. In Paul's letter to the Romans in the New Testament, he quotes this verse from Malachi out of the Old Testament. Let's consider these two verses together to get the full context of what the prophet is making known. Let me read to you verses 2 and 3 from Malachi chapter 1. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. So, Verse 2 ends with, yet Jacob I have loved. And verse 3 begins with, but Esau I have hated. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Jacob I have loved means that God chose Jacob and he did not choose Esau. That's what God is conveying when he says, Jacob I have loved. But Esau, I have hated. That's what's being conveyed. But God uses language more forceful than we like. If we were honest, many Christians, if they were honest, would say, I, I, don't, like, I don't like that language. I don't like that verse. It makes God sound too mean. And I would say, then, Christian, you're hearing wrongly because that very verse screams God's grace, God's love, and God's mercy. Not the opposite. Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. We may not like it, but it is the word of the Lord, and it is true. The fact that God hated Esau does not at all make God less worthy of our love. I've actually had people tell me, If that is true, if that's really how God is, then I don't want to have anything to do with him. The fact that God hated Esau does not mean that Jacob was more worthy of God's love, but it does mean that Jacob was the recipient of God's love. He was not more worthy of God's love, just as you and I are not more worthy. We're not worthy at all of God's love. Yet God has loved us. And God does love us. So much so that he sent his son to die for us. The amazing thing is not that God hated Esau, but that he loved Jacob. It is equally amazing, if not more amazing, that God loves us. For he chose to love us while we were sinners, dead in our sin. It was grace and grace alone that caused God to love Jacob it is grace and grace alone that causes God to love you and to love me however we want to present the statement made by God concerning Jacob and Esau we must take it at face value God chose Jacob and he did not choose Esau God loved Jacob and he hated Esau God did this as a completely sovereign act of his will There was no merit or foreknowledge of merit that caused God to love one and hate the other. It is grace offered according to the good pleasure of God's own will. This truth is confirmed for us in Paul's treatment of these verses in Romans chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. Let me read those for you. Romans 9, 11 through 13. For the children, that is Esau and Jacob, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, But Esau I have hated. There is the sovereign grace of God, freely choosing according to the good pleasure of His will and not according to any merit or anything of man. God chose you not because He saw something good in you, but He simply chose you. It was His will, not your will. It was his love, not your love. It's his grace that saves us. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Here God declared his love for his people through the prophet Malachi. In an even greater way, God has proven his love for his people through the person of Jesus Christ. Malachi foretold of the coming of Jesus. We stand in history and we look back to the finished work of Jesus upon the cross. And yet we are still tempted to question God's love for us because our life is not exactly the way we would like it to be. Our situations and our circumstances aren't exactly the way or in any way we would like for them to be. God has proven His love through His Son. Crucified, died, buried, resurrected, and ascended for us. God goes on to remind Israel that He called them back out of captivity. And they have seen the temple rebuilt. They've seen the city being restored. And even as God is now seeking to spiritually restore His remnant, This is God's love for his people. This was not so with Esau or with Edom. Esau I have hated. Esau I have not chosen. Not only did God not choose Esau, he laid waste his mountains and his heritage Jacob, or Israel, on the other hand, has the promise of God's love with the command to rebuild and reestablish the nation under love and submission to God. Esau does not have this promise, for God did not choose him, but made Israel the son of promise. Even though Esau was older, it was Jacob that received the birthright. It was Jacob that received the blessing. And it wasn't just because Esau sold it. It was because God ordained it. Esau sold it because God ordained it. Jacob got it because God ordained it. It was meant to be. I would love to go down a rabbit trail right now to tell you how Rebecca saved her husband by making sure the right son got the blessing, that was not sin, that was righteousness. That was obedience. But I can't go down that rabbit trail right now. <laughs> Verse 4. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Oh yeah? God says, they may rebuild but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Did they deserve that? You bet they did. Does that mean Jacob didn't deserve it? Absolutely not. He deserved just as much indignation as wrath as Esau received. But Jacob didn't receive what he deserved He received mercy, and God gave him instead what he didn't deserve. God gave him his love, just as God has done with us. Obviously, it was not for lack of trying that Esau tried to rebuild, tried to reestablish, but it was for lack of God's saving grace that did surely hinder Edom's efforts to rebuild. This was to be a sure sign and a constant reminder of God's unique grace, His unique grace-filled love with which He loves His people, with which He loves you today in Christ. Verse 5, Your eyes shall see and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. In other words, your eyes shall see my indignation upon Esau and upon Edom. And the Lord will be magnified beyond the border of Israel. God declares this promise to his people that they shall see And say how the Lord is magnified beyond. Can we see and can we say the same thing today? Can we see and can we say that the Lord is magnified beyond our situation, beyond our circumstances, beyond the politics of the day, beyond the culture of the day? beyond the sin of the day. Can you see it and can you say it that God is magnified beyond anything and everything? May God give us eyes to see all that He has done and all that He continues to do and will continue to do by His grace. The Lord is to be magnified beyond the limited borders that we have set in our own hearts, in our own minds. If you cannot see beyond, then pray and ask God to give you eyes to see and a heart of faith to believe Him and His promises. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us prepare to come to the table of the Lord. The last day of twenty. Twenty-three, an end leading to a glorious beginning a new year I found out yesterday was DJ's birthday be sure and tell him happy birthday DJ made the comment that He's almost to 40. And I made the comment, I wish I could say that again. (laughs) Happy birthday, Trey. You know, as you're younger, you want to get older. And as you're older, you want to get younger. But here's the truth. It doesn't matter what age you are, be thankful for each and every year that God gives to you. On this last day of 2023, you are welcome to the Lord's table. You have been called to worship him. You have confessed your sin. You have received the assurance of pardon. You have been consecrated in your worship and by his word. And now you are invited to come and to commune with him, to experience his renewal That you would be empowered to go out into this world and declare through word and deed the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christian, welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. Stand for your charge. We are a distracted people and many of our distractions are not by accident. But that is no excuse for the sin of allowing ourselves to become distracted. Our eyes have become dull by those many distractions. So much so that we cannot see clearly all the blessing of His grace. And so magnify His name beyond the borders we have fixed for ourselves and our own hearts and our own minds. We need to break through those boundaries and trust God to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The first step in achieving that breakthrough is to acknowledge our sin in confession to God. To change our mind and disposition and heartfelt repentance and obediently return to Him and His ways. Knowing that it is only by His grace that we can even do. Once we have experienced that personally, we are to share his good news, being salt and light, making disciples and changing the world, even if it is only the tiny part of the world we live in. This is the way we will see ourselves, our families, our churches, our culture and beyond return to the Lord and see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us sing our thanks to God. Praise Praise God from whom all blessings flow. is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless bless you. And Happy New Year.